Okay, well, we're in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to finish uh, the book today. Uh, we, we covered verses 1 through 5 last week, but I want to go back and just kind of get a running start at it. So let's go back up to uh, chapter 4, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. Okay. Paul says to Timothy, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, at his appearing and at his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I've fought the good fight, I've finished my course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is a crown of righteousness which the Lord which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. Father, we thank You uh, for this encouragement. Lord, we just ask that You would speak to us and stir us up. Lord, I pray that, um, I pray that the message today would penetrate hearts. And that we would hear the message and realize we need to grow and we need to change rather than hear the message and justify why we're not doing what you're asking. And so, Lord, that's going to take a move of the Spirit. And so we ask that you would just move through this place right now and touch every life here. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Well, last week was kind of a tough message. Um. You know, I think whenever you talk about uh, giving and serving, it could either go one way or the other. I don't think it really goes in a medium. It's either you're, you're like, yes, I, I need to give, I need to serve, or you're like, oh, great, here's the guilt trip on giving and serving. Um, I shared with you last week that God calls for all believers to give and to serve. And... Uh, you know, this is always uncomfortable to teach about, but it's necessary. We have to teach the whole counsel of God. We can't pick and choose. We can't just pick, talk about the sugar and spice and everything nice. You've got to talk about the difficult issues. And the reality of all is that every believer, God has called you to three ministries, at least. First is the ministry with your family. Second is the ministry in this church. God calls you to serve in the church. Hello? And third, we have a ministry out in the community to get the gospel out for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, to see people get saved. And unfortunately, many Christians today, I'm not saying you guys, but many Christians today aren't following through with that. They may do a great ministry at home, but they're not serving in the church. They, they may be serving in the church and doing great there, but neglecting their family. They may be serving at home and serving in the church, but they're not going out there, which is really why you're here on Sundays to get equipped to go out there, to lead people to Jesus. Time is short. The Lord is coming. This world is coming to an end. I don't know about you, but I just see this world collapsing. And in the midst of that, we got people on the North Shore that are dying and on their way to hell that need the gospel, and they need you to come and share the love of God in love. You don't need to go around and point out their faults and their sins. They already know them. You just need to go, hey, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. He rose from the dead and paid the price for your sins. Take the gift of salvation. Live forever. You don't need to know the whole Bible. That's all you need to know. You just need to tell everybody, this is how I got saved. Make it simple. Don't do this big old testimony how rotten you were, and you were this and you were that. Just go up and say, I was an idiot and I got saved. I think the reason that 
Many Christians today don't give or don't serve is because their love for God has grown cold. You remember what Jesus said to the church in Ephesus? You guys are doing great things. Your works are amazing. But I got something against you. You left your first love. See, we can get so busy that we're not spending time with the king. And we kind of put him on the back burner and everything that we do. And that love can grow cold. It's kind of like, you know, remember when you first fell in love. Remember, remember when you first met your spouse. I remember when I first met my wife. We just had to be together. I mean, that was back when phones were on the wall. Remember that? And, you know, you'd have to wait for the call or something like that. And there was a pay phone at my work, and then she had a phone at her work. We would call each other all through the day. We would see each other all the time. We just had to be together. It didn't matter where it was, going to the beach, going to movies, going to dinner, just hanging out. If she needed something done, I did it. If I needed something done, she did it. We were just in love. It didn't matter. We just needed to be together. And that's how it was when we got saved. Man, you were just so excited. You didn't even know any Bible. You just knew Jesus loved you, and you were born again, and you just had to tell everybody. You were all excited. But as time goes on, that love relationship cools down. But it ought not to. And so God is telling the church at Laodicea, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. Would you open up and let me in? And I'll sup with you. And I'll strengthen you. And I'll get you on your feet again and on the right path. See, the church at large today doesn't want to give and doesn't want to serve because their love has grown cold. And I'll tell you what, um, I can't tell you how many times I've had to pray, Lord, return me to my first love because being a pastor can become a job. And I don't want it to be a job. I don't want to get that feeling like I'm doing my job. I want to get back to that feeling I love what I'm doing. And, and I pray to God for his strength to return to my first love, and he's so faithful. It's usually either that day or within a couple of days, I feel back and on fire for Jesus, hungry for his word, ready to pray and ready to serve. But sometimes, I'll tell you what, I'm smart enough to recognize when I've grown cold and the next step for me to do is to start praying. Because if I cry out to him and I said, Lord, forgive me, return me to my first love, then he's faithful. But if I don't pray that, I'll just keep going and being complacent and not being in love. So if you want to get out of that, start praying. God wants to use you. You know, and I'll tell you what, sometimes, you know, when we feel like we're going to change and, or we're going to do something, and I think you guys can relate to this, that you get together maybe with some other people and this is what we're going to do, and next thing you know, it becomes so difficult and overwhelming, you don't do anything because you can't get started because it's just, you've made it so overwhelming. And I think Christians do that a lot when they're trying to turn from something and turn back to God. And then they say, well, you know what? I got to do this. I got to go to this ministry and that ministry. And I got to do this. And I got to read more of the Bible. And I got to pray more. And I got to serve here. And I got to go over there. And, I gotta, and they're like, oh, there's so much to do. I can't even get started. Can I encourage you? You want to get back to your first love? Look, at, let's just do this. Take the first step. Commit to Sunday morning. Come into church. Commit to Wednesday. And watch what God does in your life. I don't know how people make it through the week without coming to Bible study. I really don't get it. I mean, I, I can't make it through the day without a Bible study. And, and I know you're going to say, well, that's your job. I know it is, but I love it. I got to be in the Word of God because I love the Word of God because the Word of God gives me power and strength and guidance and wisdom. It has the answers to everything I'm going through. I love it. My kids used to come on Mondays, which is my day off, and they'd find me out in my office for hours. they go, what are you doing? It's your day off. I go, I know. I'm surfing the Word. It's awesome. I'm pull, pulling into chapter 4. It's, I love it. But one of the toughest things for Christians to do is to serve and to give. 
Let me read you this, Malachi 3.8. Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me, God says. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring you all your tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. That's a challenge of the Lord God. There are tremendous blessings come, that come when we give. Now, this is not health and wealth doctrine. Because there, that health and wealth doctrine is false doctrine. It's demonic. You got these groups under the banner of Jesus Christ that are saying that everybody should be healthy and wealthy if you're a Christian. That if you're not healthy and wealthy, you don't have enough faith. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Because you know what happens to those folks? As soon as they're sick and as soon as their finances collapse, their whole faith collapses. You will not find that doctrine in the Bible. God blesses some with a lot and others He doesn't. And maybe He's not giving it to you because He can't give through you. Or maybe He's not giving it to you because it wouldn't do good for you to have a lot. I thought about it a lot of times. I, I thought about, you know what? There's, I, I mean, I know a lot of wealthy people that love God and serve God and God is using them. But I know some people that once they get money and power, they turn away from God. Right? And I used to, always, I used to come up with these ideas, these grand ideas. Lord, if we just, you know, if I just got all this money, then I could do this for the church and do that. And, you know, you, you do that. Do you guys do that? Is that just me? Right? And then sometimes I realize maybe I don't have a lot of money because I wouldn't do good with it. If you have un, having a lot of stuff and a lot of money might keep you from serving God, then praise God, you got nothing. Right? Praise God, you're scraping because maybe for you, God knows what you need. I know He knows what you need. And maybe for you, scraping week to week is what keeps you close to Him. Going through an illness is what keeps you close to Him. Real giving is when we give and we serve and we don't ask for anything back. That's real giving. That's real serving. Lord, Lord I'm giving because it's right. Lord, I'm serving because it's right. And I don't expect anything back. But you know the funny thing about God? You can't outgive God. And, and the funny thing is, is that the blessings you'll receive go way beyond what you think. Because what happens is when we give and we serve, God starts answering prayers. It's, yeah. It's not about money and stuff. It's about seeing transformed lives, seeing your children, your grandchildren come to the Lord, watching your spouse come to the Lord, watching your neighbor come to the Lord, seeing someone healed of cancer, seeing someone growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, seeing someone sign up for ministry. But he says that this world in verses 3 and 4 is, 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 is that the, the church at large today is seeking to have their ears tickled. They're sealed, they're, they, they've got itching ears. They're, they're going after these false teachers who teach a doctrine that is not of the Lord. And they think they're under the banner of Jesus Christ and they're covered by the blood, but they don't even know what the blood is all about. Because these churches teach a doctrine which basically says you can live in your sin and still go to heaven. In the name of Jesus Christ. It's false doctrine. It's out there and people are getting sucked into it. They're ordaining pastors and leaders who are in sexual immorality and they're saying it's okay, God loves you. Yeah, God loves you, but He hates your sin. God wants us to turn. If your sin doesn't bother you, you've got to ask yourself, are you His? 
God wants to see you grow in the grace and knowledge, not go downhill. Christian world today wants flowery messages. Sweet little sugar-coated sermonettes for Christianettes. Little butterfly messages. Just tell me how much God loves me. Just tell me. Don't don't say everything. But you know what? That's the beauty about life. And if you're visiting today, we go book by book, chapter by chapter. You just showed up today. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to make excuses for anything, but I'm just saying you're here because I guess God brought you here just for this. Because all of us need this. All of us need a little kick in the pants. We need to get going for Jesus because we're running out of time and because he's worth it. You are going to heaven. You are not going to hell. You escaped hell. You're going to heaven. And if you got a little glimpse of it, I, I, I think that would jumpstart our hearts. God wants to use you. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need your money. But because he loves you, because you're his child, he wants to bless you through using you and having you give and serve. He loves you that much. When our life has truly been transformed by the word of God, it produces a hunger for the word and those sugar-coated messages don't do it for me anymore. Now, I'm not here to beat you up, but I want to give you the truth. I want to see you grow. Do you have a hunger and thirst for the Word of God? Do you have a hunger like when you go to an all-you-can-eat buffet? I know a lot of you are just like me. When you go to those, you're getting your money's worth. Right? I mean, why? Because around here, all you eat buffets are like $40, $50 for all you can eat, right? So you're thinking to yourself, one plate's all I need, but I'm going to do three because I'm going to get my money's worth. And you're looking out, and you got all these choices. I'll have some of this and some of that, and then you're coming back and coming back and coming back. Why? Because you're hungry, and you want to fill yourself. It's the same thing with the Word of God. You got look at you got a buffet right here, sixty six books. I'll take some of this. I'll take some Old Testament, some New Testament, a little wisdom from Proverbs, a little worship from Psalms, a little instruction. And it's a buffet, and we're eating and we're eating and eating. But this is the thing: if you're always eating at a buffet, sooner or later you got to go to the gym, right? Right? You know, it's so funny. You want to lose weight? You got to get a personal trainer, right? Oh, it got quiet in here all of a sudden. Yeah, we don't talk about that at Calorie Chapel, right? You want to lose weight, you got to get a personal trainer. You got to stick to it. Isn't it funny you don't need a personal trainer to gain weight? What are you doing? I'm trying to gain weight. So how are you doing? You got like a personal trainer? No, I just lay on the couch and shove food down my throat while I watch sports. See, here's the thing. The more you get fed the Word of God every week and every day, you can get spiritually overweight. I hope you're following me. So, so what do I do when I'm taking in all this wonderful bread and I'm, I'm starting to explode? You've got to go work it off. How do I do that? Get out there. Be used of God. Check this out. Philippians 2.12 Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works it in you, both to will and to do for His good pleasure. What does that mean? You know, some people take that, that verse out of text and they say, you know, you got to work to earn your salvation. That's not what it's saying. It's saying when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, he gives you gifts, he gives you talents, he gives you power. He works that into you, he just puts that in you. And now he says, take what he put in you and work it out. Everything that God gives you is to give away. When he fills me with the power of the Holy Spirit and gives me the gifts of God, I'm here to bless the front row, the back row, the side row, everybody in the community, and then I'm empty. He fills me again. I work it out, and I just keep working it out, and it's, it's catch and release. God blesses you, and then you bait the hook and throw it out there. Got me a marlin. 
Reel them in. To bless others. And that way I don't get spiritually overweight. Because why? Because everything he's given me and everything I'm taking in, I'm working it out. I'm, in, I'm going into the Lord's gym. You see what I'm saying? See, but here's the problem. Too many Christians are taking in every week, taking in the Word of God. Oh, Pastor, I listen to messages all day long on the radio, taking it in. That's awesome. Praise God. Yeah, we're going to this study. We're going to that. Oh, praise God. Just taking in and, and you're just blowing up and blowing up, but you're not releasing anything. You know, when you go to Israel, you go to the Sea of Galilee, that's living water. Aren't we called living water? We're not called pond scum. We're not dead water, right? We're living water. And if you go to the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan goes into the Sea of Galilee, living water, and then the Jordan flows out of the Sea of Galilee, but then it goes down to this sea called the Dead Sea, which just takes in and takes in and takes in, but doesn't release. Did I lose you? In verse 5, he tells us to uh, be faithful to finish our ministry. That God has called each and every one of us into ministry. I'm telling you, he's called you. Yeah, but I'm not qualified. Perfect. I'm always worried about the guy that's qualified. I'll bypass the qualified to get the unqualified because I know they're workable. Right? And he says, do the work of the evangelist. Okay, so now if you look at some of the gifts that there are in the offices of the church, there's a gift of evangelist. Not everybody has the gift of evangelist, but everybody's got the gift to evangelize. So every one of us are called to get the gospel out, whether it's at home, the workplace, down your street, at the beach, at the golf course, at the tennis court, at the airport. We are all called to evangelize. And he says, stay faithful. And then look at verse 6. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is hand, as at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to also to those who have loved his appearing. Are you looking for Jesus? <laughs> Give you one more shot of that. Are you looking for Jesus? Okay, you got a crown coming. And I got a feeling you got a few more coming. He he says, look, I am ready. I am ready to be poured out. Paul is about to face death, and he is ready because he knows he's run the race. He knows he's fought the good fight. He knows that he has finished well. He's been obedient. He's did everything that God has asked him, and, and now he's being ready to be offered up. Because he's looking forward to going home. This place is not our home. Hello, don't get comfortable. Don't get comfortable. Only one person's with me on that. (laughs) He says, my departure is at hand. That word in the Greek means to strike the tent or hoist an anchor. We're out of here. You know when you go to the airport, everybody here has gone flying before. There's only two places you go, arrivals and departure. Arrivals are people coming, departures are people going. Going where? Going somewhere. Where are you going? Paul says, I'm ready to depart. My departure's at hand. My, my plane, my, my ride is ready to take me home, and I'm, and I'm going first class. He says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. What's a drink offering? Well, in the Old Testament, there was a burnt offering. And the burnt offering was when somebody would offer an entire animal and the whole thing would be burned. It was all for Jesus. It was all for the Lord. It was was to speak of a total consecration 
Total consecration. It means that I am giving myself completely to the Lord. Have you ever cried out like that? Lord, I'm, I'm yours. I want to be completely yours. Help me. I need help. And then what would they do is while that offering is burning and being consumed for God, they would pour wine on it, representing a sweet fragrance, fragrance rising up to God. And the believer would be saying, I am giving myself completely to you, Lord. And the wine would turn into steam and rise up like a vapor and poof, disappear. What is that saying? It's saying less of me and more of you. May Steve Rex disappear and people only see Jesus Christ. And in verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. What an incredible statement. Wow. Paul fought everywhere he went. From the day of that road to Damascus, and he got on track, he fought. He fought for the church. He fought against false doctrine, against legalisms, against the Judaizers, against heresy, against immorality, and he was faithful. Let me ask you today, how's your fight? How's your fight going? Can you say you're faithful? Or can you be honest and say, I need a little work, Lord. I'm with you. I need a little work. I need a little work. I could do better. I believe that. I believe I could do better. But we're in a fight. And here's the thing. Listen, guys. The enemy is subtle. Do we agree? Isn't it funny how he can get in and creep in and mess up your marriage or mess up your relationship or mess up your relationships at church? But does the Bible say we're fighting each other? No, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're not fighting each other. The enemy has creeped in, and we took the bait, and we started going off on each other. We do it at home. We do it with our kids. We do it with our spouse. We do it with people at church. We do it at the workplace. We do it out in the water. Can't believe that guy dropped in on me. Praise the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in an evil day and having done all to stand. Amen. Put on your armor. Pray it up in the morning. Lord, give me, give me the armor. Oh, and give me the helmet because I'm taking shots to the head. I need protection. We wrestle not against each other. I, I, I would encourage you, the next time you're in an argument with someone, to think about that verse and go, you know what? Let's just stop this right now. I love you. The enemy's gotten in between us, and we're not fighting each other. But we took the bait. And just drop to your knees and start praying. Watch God do a mighty work. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says this, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience with your obedience is is fulfilled. In other words, Paul's saying to each and every one of us, to me too, finish the race! Woo! Finish the race. you got a crown incorruptible that's coming. And he says there in verse 8, he talks about that crown. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, who is the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all of you who have loved his appearing. How many crowns do you want? Remember last week we talked about God is the judge of the quick and the dead, the living and the dead. For the Christian, we go to the Bema seat. We're judged for our works and how we serve God. We're in. We're, it's not about salvation. We're already in. But he, he, he tries our works. And if our works were genuine and our motives were right because we did it for him because it was the right thing to do, it was our reasonable service, Romans 12.1, then we're going to get rewards. We're going to get crowns. We're going to get gold and silver. And, and it's all so we can throw at his feet and go, look what you did. 
You did it all. And I want you guys to have some crowns. I don't want you to have one of those little copter beanies. I want you looking over and go, hey, you know what? David, can I borrow one of your crowns? I don't got anything. I want to be able to throw something too. Check this out. The crown of righteousness is for those who love him and are looking for his appearance. Here's the crown of rejoicing in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. The crown of rejoicing is for those that win souls. Every time you're out there sharing the gospel, it's going towards that crown. The crown of life, James 1.12, for those who endure temptation, those who become martyrs, those that are going through trials, but they are overcomers. Then there's the crown of glory. And that's in 1 Peter 5.4. That's for pastors and elders who take care of the flock. And then there's a crown incorruptible. And that one's real simple. That's for folks that just say no to sin. How many crowns do you want? Because I'm looking at five right there. Can you imagine just stacking those puppies up and whipping those at the Lord's feet and going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, God is so great. Number one, he saves us. Hello. Come on. He didn't get a whole lot when he got me. But he knew that and loved me anyway. And then he says, I'm going to give you the strength to do all things in my name, and then I'll reward you for what I did through you. That's a pretty good deal. God loves you. Let him have his way with you. In verse 9, he says to Timothy, be diligent to come quickly. He longed to see Timothy. Timothy was a son in the faith. Titus was like a son in the faith. Luke was faithful. God had, uh, God had put just these faithful brothers around Paul, and now Paul facing death, he's going to want two things. He's going to want the word of God, and he's going to want his family near him. And so he says, be faithful, come quickly, because he doesn't know how long he's going to last before they try to kill him, or, or they will finish him off, actually. And then he says, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed to Thessalonica. Cretans for Galatia, Titus is in Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Get Mark, bring him with you, for he is useful for me for the ministry. Tychicus or Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus. So here we see him say that Demas has forsaken him. We, we see two other places in the Bible where Demas is mentioned being with Paul, but now Demas has forsaken him. And Demas went back to the world. And we all know Christians that were on fire for Jesus and then went back to the world. And it never works out. You know why? Because you got too much Jesus in you to enjoy the world. And, and then coming back to church is hard because you got too much of the world in you to enjoy Jesus. And so you got to give that stuff up, give it over to God, get back in the fellowship where people love you, and let God do a work in you. But Demas took off and left Paul. Now, you can't say Demas was at a bad church and in a bad environment, and, you know, we always blame things on environments. You, you can't blame things on environment. You have an opportunity to make a choice. That's why great men have been used coming out of the ghettos, and that's why some people who came from rich families were so destructive. It, it, they made a choice. You can make a choice. You don't have to stay where you're at. You can grow in the grace and knowledge for Jesus and be used by God. Demas decided to go back to the world. Desiring the things of this world. You know, when, when the Lord talked to us in Matthew 13 about the parables of the kingdom, he mentioned the first ones were the four soils. Remember that? The wayside, the stony ground, the thorny ground, and the good soil. Well, the thorny ground said to those that the word of God to them got choked out. It said because of the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, there was no fruit. It got choked out. Why does it call riches deceitful? Because money deceives people thinking that more money will make me happy. Money doesn't make you happy. It makes your life a little more comfortable. But it's not the answer to everything. It's deceitful. Money in the hands of a godly man or woman can be used for God. That's a good thing. Demas went back to the world. He said Cretans went to Galatia. 
which was a good thing. It sounds like Paul was, was sending them, letting them know, Titus to Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Luke was the physician. Luke was the guy that wrote the Gospel Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. Luke was the one that God put with Paul to go with him traveling wherever he went. He was a physician. That was a good thing for Paul because everywhere he went, he got the snot beat out of him. So he had a doctor on hand. Luke is the only one hanging with them in Rome because at this point, to be hanging out with Paul could cause you to be put to death too. And everybody took off. Only Luke was hanging out. And then he says, get Mark, which is John Mark, bring him with you for he is useful to me in the ministry. Now, Mark is the one who wrote the Gospel Mark by information he received from Peter John Mark was the one who was Barnabas's nephew who went with Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey but got freaked out after Cyprus and went home. And then when the second journey was coming, Paul says, let's go on another journey, check out the church and see what's going on. Barnabas is like, great, I'll tell Mark. And him and Paul got in a fight. He goes, no, I ain't bringing that guy with me. He ran out. He dug out. He left us hanging. And Barnabas and him got into it and it was so heavy, so heated, that they split up. And Paul took Silas and Barnabas took John Mark. So who was right, Paul or Barnabas? Yeah, they both were. Because Paul was right, John wouldn't be able to handle it because as soon as Paul and Silas got to the, to the uh, Philippians, Philippi, they got the snot beat out of them and thrown in jail. And, and Barnabas took Mark because Mark needed a second chance. Did you ever need a second chance? Aren't you glad when you had a Barnabas come alongside you? And say, come on, buddy, I know you screwed up, and I know a lot of people are angry at you, but I love you, and I'm here because I know that could be me, and I know you'd be here for me. And here, it's so awesome to see how that, that worked itself out in the Word of God, because towards the end of, of Paul's life, he says, send Mark to me. He is useful to me. That relationship is healed. With Tychicus, I've sent to Ephesus. And then he says, verse 13, bring the cloak that I left uh, with Carpus at Troas, and when you come... Bring the books, especially the parchments. Especially those. I love this. Timothy, come quickly. I want to see you. Oh, and bring, bring the Word of God. Paul, in his last days, wanted the Scriptures because he wanted to know more about the God who was about to meet face to face. When you're on your deathbed and it, you only got days, what are you going to ask for? Sports Illustrated? Turn on the game? Oh, you know, Timothy, bring all my trophies and certificates that I earned. I want to just look at those one more time. I've been on a lot of deathbeds over the years as a pastor. And I can't tell you how many people just said, just read me the scriptures. I just want to hear the word of God. Put on some worship music. Oh, I'm going to meet him soon. Oh, what a blessing. What a blessing. He says, bring the books. Bring the parchments. I'm looking forward to see you. And then he says, Alexander, the coppersmith, he did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must be aware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. Now, this is kind of interesting because he's getting really touching here for a moment. And then all of a sudden he remembers, oh, yeah, Alexander the coppersmith, oh, the Lord will get him. I love that about Paul. He's just human, right? Yeah, bring the, bring the cloak, bring the parchments, come soon. Alexander the coppersmith, Rah, the Lord will take care of him. Watch out for him. Beware of him. Now, I say that because, you know, here's what's interesting is over the years, um, I've taken a lot of heat for, like, calling out pastors that are uh, wolves, you know, on the mainstream. And uh, people are like, you shouldn't be talking about them. You shouldn't be naming names. Paul did. You need to know if there's a wolf out there because a lot of people are getting duped because they don't really know the Word of God, and then they're listening to false doctrine to get their ears itched. And then they come in, they say, well, you know, you know I've been watching this, and I'm like, that guy's a wolf. And they get offended and they leave or they take it and receive it. But it's, it's my job. 
this particular guy, Alexander, in the first book of Timothy, chapter 1, verse 18, says this, Paul charges Timothy, I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage a good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they would learn not to blasphemy. That's pretty heavy. Pretty heavy. And then he says there in verse 16, At my first offense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. That's pretty interesting. See, because what happened was when he was taken, Nero was killing Christians, and to be associated with Paul could mean your death. So a lot of people fled from him, even people that really loved him. And, and I get it. We get scared, right? I mean, if we, if we could be put to death for showing up here, how many of you would show up next week? But I love his response. He said, um, may it not be charged against them. I think he was reflecting back on S Stephen when Paul was Saul of Tarsus holding the coats, watch, commanding Stephen to be put to death by being stoned. And he heard Stephen cry out, lay not this sin to their charge. And I think that messed with Paul. I think on the road to Damascus it was messing with him. I kept, he, you know, it said that Stephen's face was like an angel. It started to shine like when Moses came down from the mountain and, and they were killing him and, he was, and he, was, he was crying out to the Lord, don't blame him for this. And here we see Paul doing the same thing. I, I think Paul kept seeing Stephen's image throughout of his life. And now we see him responding in the same way. And then he says in verse 17, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all Gentiles might hear. Also I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul, wow. Amazing. Paul's saying there that I used every opportunity that I had to preach the gospel, no matter where he was, no matter what his circumstances, whether he was out free in public, whether he was at a synagogue down by the river, or whether he was at a jail or in prison or before kings and leaders, he preached the gospel. He looked at an opportunity. We might look at like I'm thrown in jail. Paul looked at like, all right, I'm going to reach the jail for Jesus Christ. And he was actually excited. When he was going to Jerusalem, everybody was saying, don't go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's bear witness that you're going to be bound in chains if you go there. There was a prophet there that said, Paul, if you go, this is how you're going to end up. And he said, stop it. You're breaking my heart. I'm going. And he went there and he ended, up, he ended up causing a riot in Jerusalem and they had to take him away and put him in bondage in, in the Roman Praetorium. And, and it was that where he gave the this truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Jews freaked out about it. They wanted to kill him. And he was so depressed, God came to him in the cell and said, you've done a good job. Now you're going to Rome. And all the way to going to Rome, people are trying to kill him. Stuff's happening. The enemy's trying to sink ships and all this stuff. But Paul never worried. Why? Because God said, I'm going to Rome. If God said, I'm going to Rome, I'm going to get there. I don't got to worry about these guys that take an oath to kill me. I don't got to worry about going down to Caesarea and going through that area. I don't got to worry about getting on a ship and it's shipwrecking me dying. I'm going to Rome. To preach the gospel. In Acts 9.15, the Lord said to Ananias, right after he struck down Saul of Tarsus at the road of Damascus, he says, Ananias, go talk to Paul, pray over him to receive his sight, baptize him with the Holy Spirit. Ananias is like, Lord, do you know who this guy is? You ever done that to Jesus? You ever like inform God, you know, I'm, I know you're telling me to do something, but do you know the facts here, Lord? And, and Jesus says, he says, listen, he goes, 
The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him, check this out, I will show him, who? Paul. I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. That doesn't sound fun. But if if the world hated Jesus, why, why would they not hate you? And if you stand up, and more so in these days, and you stand up for Jesus, the world's going to come against you. Are you ready to stand? Are you ready to be a light? Paul stood up before Agrippa and Nero. He looked at it as an opportunity. If I can win these guys, the Lord, we could sweep the Roman Empire. I like his attitude. He said there that the Lord stood with me and strengthened me and delivered me out of the lion's mouth. Now, some scholars believe he was thrown into the lion's den and they didn't attack him, which is why he was beheaded. Others think that referred to lion is referring to Nero, who thought he was going to kill Paul, but actually was helping Paul get to the finish line. And then there are those that believe this is a reference to the devil who roams around like a lion seeking who he can devour. Whatever the case, God delivered him out of it all. Now I want to say something. We're almost done. There's being delivered out of and there's being delivered through. He's saying God has delivered me out of and God has delivered me through. We don't like the through. We like out of, right? You feel it coming on. You know it's gnarly. You're not, you're not crying out, Lord, see me through this. You're saying, Lord, get me out. Get me out now. I don't want to do this. But I got to say to you, if you believe the Lord will never leave you nor forsake you, that means he has your hand through the trial. And it's those trials he allows us to go through that he delivers us through that actually really grow us in the grace and knowledge. The out of is more like he delivers you out of it. You go, whoo, that was close. You just continue on. It's the ones you go through that really grows you. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had to go through the fiery furnace. Daniel had to go through the lion's den. And he said, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me and delivered me out of the lion's mouth. The Lord delivered him through everything. And then he closes the whole thing up with greetings. I greet, greet Prisca and Aquila. That's Priscilla and Aquila. Those are a lovely couple who's been faithful that he met on the first missionary journey in Corinth. He says, in the household of Nisiphorus. Now, scholars believe that Nisiphorus was faithful to Paul and went to Rome, and they feel that he got murdered for hanging out with, with Paul because here he says, I greet the household of Nisiphorus, not Nisiphorus. So it kind of implies maybe he died and he's just comforting the family. He says, Erastus stayed in Corinth. Uh, Trophimus I left in Miletus sick. Isn't that interesting? Paul, the great healer. Didn't heal him, left him there sick. Hmm. Maybe he didn't hear that health and wealth doctrine yet. That if you don't have faith, that's why you're not healed. That's a lie from hell. What, what does this show you? What is God showing us here at the end of Paul's life? That, listen, that, um, you know, we can't just wheel around who gets healed and who doesn't. Even, even Jesus, when he went to the pool of Bethesda, there was all these people that needed healing. He healed one guy. Made a statement, he left. But when he was in Capernaum, everyone they brought to him got healed. Got delivered from demons. Everyone. So it's up to God. It's our job to be faithful to pray, to anoint people with oil. Say, Lord, heal them in the name of Jesus Christ. And then it's up to God whether he does that or not. But our part is to pray for him. Amen? So he says, uh, Trophimus, I left him. Melita's sick. Do your utmost to come before winter. Come on, Timothy, get here. I want to see you. And then he says, Ubalus greets you, as well as uh, Pudence and Linus and Charlie Brown and Peppermint Patty. And No, it doesn't say that. But, and then Claudia 
and all the brethren, the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Beautiful final words of a great man of God. So in closing, I just want to say this, that all Paul wanted in the last days was his family around him and the scriptures. Family around and scriptures. God wants us to be obedient to his word. God wants every one of us, including myself, to give and to serve. So in our last days, we can say, I've fought the good fight. I finished the race. And I kept the faith. Amen? Let's pray. Please stand. Father, thank you for just reminding us how amazing you are, how faithful you are. And Lord, I want to thank you that you even see fit to use us. What a blessing to be used by the creator of the universe. Thank you for loving us so much that you gave your son to die for us. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here now that doesn't know Jesus, would you just pray this in your heart? Lord, forgive me of my sins. I believe you died for me on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead. And I believe you're the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no way to the Father except through you. You are the only way to salvation. And so I'm asking you now to save me. If you just prayed that in your heart, you're a child of God. Now, Go live for the Lord Jesus Christ and be used by him. Lord, we ask for a special blessing over the congregation right now. Fill them afresh with the Holy Spirit, Lord God. They are going to be going out into this community. <laughs> and to be a light. Jesus freaks moving in and out through the North Shore. Sharing the love of God and being an example of the love of God. So empower them and give them strength. In Jesus' name and all people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.